Hi, and welcome to SheQuest Podcast, a radio show that will help you not only claim your awareness around the concept of power, body, beauty, voice, and the arts of your life, but truly embody it. I'm your host, Estelle Thompson. You are here to widen your lens on the unfiltered and uncurated conversation we have in my SheQuest membership program. And best yet, you'll get real life, tangible tools to stay real and true to you. Each season, we will interview incredible, knowledgeable guests and You'll educate and uplift as we strive to live whole and not perfect. Welcome. Hi, SheQuest. Estelle here. Today's guest, Danielle Beinstein, is a gem to have on the show. She's one of these luminaries that you just want to keep close. We spoke of how nature heals, the urgency of living, the smallness of the ego, and so much more. It's a short conversation, but it's deep and insightful. I hope you love it as much as I had fun recording it. You can find Danielle at daniellebeinstein.com and follow her on Instagram at Danny Beinstein. Enjoy. All right. Hi, SheQuest. Welcome to SheQuest Podcast. I'm your host, Estelle Thompson. This episode is a bit of a Sheikwest revival, if you will, because the guest gracing us with her presence today is someone I've been wanting to have on the show since I first heard her on a podcast myself. Danielle Beinstein is a spiritual astrologer, a lover of art, literature, and nature who grew up in New York but lives in the countryside of Nashville, Tennessee. Since my first... <laughs> always weird to do when somebody's like looking at you. Since my first online encounter with her, I've been fascinated by her groundedness and personal knowledge she brings to everything, her astrology, everything, manifestation work and shadow work. And I've been fortunate enough to participate in one-on-one session with her as well as small group container Uh, which have been completely magic and expanding. Um, I could go on praising you, Danielle. um, But but just, you know, you've impacted my life and I wanted my community, my audience to know you. and, And I've been really passionate about having you on the show. So just thank you so much. Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here. I just adore you. I'm so, I'm honestly, I'm thrilled to be here and to talk to you. So the first question I always ask on the show is, what makes you feel alive today? Well, my dogs. (laughs) I love my dogs so much. I really, so I'm out in Colorado for the summer because I do live in in Tennessee, but I'm out in Colorado for the summer uh, to spend time with my family because my parents are getting on, they're getting older and, and their health is declining. And so I want to spend as much time with them. And yesterday. I So I've been taking them three times a day to the park, to the, we're on the river at my parents' house, but there's a park and my dogs love to get in the water, but they don't get, they don't love to swim. But yesterday, one of them jumped in and swam by herself. And I swear, <laughs> the 
the joy it brought me. That like really the ecstasy it brought me. I'm like, oh, is this what parents feel when their children, you know, walk through a fear and do something? It was it embarrassingly excited by it. Um, what brings me alive? So, you know, I'm having an interesting relationship to travel. Uh, it was, it it certainly has been travel in the pa- in the past, but I'm having. I guess you could call it an awakening around travel, just a deeper awareness of how my travel has been really what this writer who I follow so closely named, I think he's Chris Arnott or Chris Arnotti. I post about him a lot, but he, he calls thin travel, nothing to do with weight, but the idea of having, you know, curated experiences of a place, which I've definitely been guilty of most of my life. I've traveled so much, but it hasn't really been immersive the way that I think I would really grow from. And if I think about, I spent seven months in New Zealand, which for me on a personal level is really challenging. And, but it was immersive. And I really, I was challenged by the culture, which you would think, oh, same language as America. How could it be so different? But it is very different. And so I've been having this new relationship to travel, but the new experiences in that way, I love literature. I love to read. Uh, and I have really been developing an immersive relationship with nature in a way that, you know, I was raised in Manhattan, was not raised in nature at all. You know, museums were my playground. And just the idea that the whole world is animate and even living on some land and we're, we're basically in the forest and how alive the forest feels. And when I sit on my porch at home in Tennessee and I see the butterflies and we have a toad that likes to hang out and, you know, we see deer and in the yard and the birds chirping. I mean, I've really become immersed in that way. And it feels that I'm like, Oh, this is what all those fairy tales are about. So there's like a childlike playfulness that is bringing me alive where I used to be quite kind of studious and serious and quite linear in my thinking, my whole perceptual reality in like, like the movie Avatar is like just shifting the way I experience the world in a much more multifaceted, multidimensional way rather than a hierarchical or linear, linear way, which I was trained to think in. Just reading your stories on Instagram uh, this summer, like just a little snippet. Yes. And I know it's like, I know it's not everything, but I'm always like, Danielle is going through something. <laughs> it's, it's so accurate. Yeah. This summer has been, you know, very slow in its, in what I've actually done. I have my clients, but there's a lot of spaciousness and I've been with family and I've been literally immersed in nature, but the pups and that slowness. There's a slowness to call to Tennessee where I live, but there's something about this summer. Maybe it's the Venus retrograde. Yeah, I am. I'm definitely going through um, and a next layer of shift. Do you think that's like, cause I've been reflecting a lot, like actually today yeah. I was just counting for fun. There's 42 days before my 42nd birthday. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, And I've been thinking a lot about, like, I don't know who said this, somebody smart, but, like, my second act. Yeah. You know, and, like, a lot. And I 
turned 40 and I was aware, like my husband would joke and say, welcome to middle life, you know? And yes. I was like, ha, ha, it was very like superficial, but it's only in the past. I think if, when I started seeing you, I was like, no, no, this is, this is real. Like, how can I, uh, reimagine my, like, what's, yes. what's like, I'm going to become an elder here. Yes. <laughs> And how do I want like the, the visions I have of my life? Like what, like, this is important. I don't have much time left, you know, and that has been so <laughs> present. It's so, yeah. And like, and too, and it's funny because I had like all this list of things, like I wanted to talk to you and I had three things. And the third thing I literally like erased it. Oh, we won't have time to talk about. And it's what you brought up. <laughs> But it's what I've been fascinated lately by my relationship to the land I live yeah. in right now. And I, I wrote, I just wrote about that. There's this beach close to our house. And like, I've literally, it's like a poetic testament to how it's, it's helped me in my, I don't know, how can I call it? Like a grief recovery yes. or something like, yeah. And, like, I love just your language around like, oh, there's a toad and the butterflies and like, because that's how I feel about my walking trail. And that's how I feel about that beach, you know, and like, yeah, like, I don't know. And I like, we're both fanatic of psychology, but I literally feel the places you're in, they teach you, they're great teachers. 100%. And you literally become them. Yes. Yes. And I think that, you know, Estelle, I think about you a lot. And I, one of the things that I have learned from you is your level of aliveness, especially, you know, I don't, I don't know if we recover from grief. I think we metabolize it in whatever way we can, but I think it sits with us you would know even more than I, right? But your determination to live in the face of the greatest loss to me, I think about you all, I do, I think about you all the time because I think it is, I think it is the bravest, most creative act a human can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, I, I always think about, the the flower that grew in Hiroshima, right? Like the idea that the earth is constantly alive and that life wants to sprout. And, you know, I think, so you're about to be 42, I'm about to be 43. And I think about, you know, this idea of... Uh, actually letting go of the whole want thing, the whole contraction around want, because there's something when we look at the world in this multifaceted, multidimensional way, and we dance with life, it's like what's meant for us will find us. And we've gotten into this idea that we can control it and that everything is about the self, right? And it's all up to us. And I just don't think that's true. I think that that is 
a function of the kind of the Western modern mind. But I think it's a necessary thing. Like, I don't think it's bad. I just think, I was talking about this with my best friend the other day, that, you know, I was saying, I, I don't, I, anything that I had wanted when I was younger, I actually have not manifested. And she was like, I think you're selling yourself short. Your whole life is a manifestation. And I said, yes, but not from my ego. I didn't get anything that I wanted from an egoic standpoint. Like, and I mean, nothing. My life looks radically different, but my soul, which I've, I've tried to listen to as much as possible. My soul has taken me to places and introduced me to people that have really challenged my worldview and continue to break down my worldview in so much so in a way that like, if I didn't have a strong constitution, I might go crazy because my whole, my whole way of seeing the, and I see what of seeing the world has dissolved and transformed into something new. And I see why people hold so tightly to a worldview because it's very, very scary to be challenged out of that. It's terrifying. And I've been thinking about death in the, in the very real sense. And then I've been thinking about the death of midlife Ugh. and the transition and how I do feel more alive as a woman than I've ever felt. And I'm, I, I'm just kind of, I marvel at the fact that I get to walk on the earth and it sounds so cheesy, but it's just like, my ancestors had it rough. Like I went to see a healer the other day and she's like, oh, your lineage is dark. I was like, I know, I know. And then she said to me, she's like, but you're, you seem to transform it so quickly. I was like, well, that's, you know, decades of work. But I just think about my ancestors, you know, many of whom were literally shoved into cattle cars, arrived at a concentration camp and were gassed and then incinerated. Like that was there at about my age. Like I think about my great grandmother who was my age and then her, her daughters, her son had made it over to America at 10 years old. My grandfather, um, they sent him over, terrible story. They sent him over hoping he would be able to bring everyone over and he was 10, couldn't. So I think about that lineage and I think about, you know, that, I get to live on this earth in the way that I do. And I really, I really don't take that lightly. I really don't. I feel like um, it's my duty to honor them by living. I I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I do, I appreciate that about you, just how wide like, I love that you talk about your past, mm-hmm. like uh, not just your past, like your personal yeah. past, but like your ancestors and what, where you came from. Like, this is so important. Like the ego is so, you know, you were talking about the ego. It's so small and limiting. So much so. And like, I think even in like small ways, I mean, America has destroyed our soil system. So our bread is terrible, but like my, they were bakers. They had a stone bakery and that was obviously taken from them. But like, I love bread. And I even think about like when I, 
you know, am eating bread, I'm like, this is the food of my ancestors. Literally, they made bread, you know? And I think it's much more soothing to the soul to feel part of something, a lineage, an ancestry, and then part of the larger, you know, human race. And then beyond that, like everything being alive. I think the level of anxiety that we feel as human beings in the modern world, when we think it's all about us, that's the great irony, right? It's like the constant psychoanalyst analysis actually keeps us more anxious yeah, and more separate. The awareness is key, but I think that we have, pop psychology has actually caused unintended consequences that aren't so great for us. Like if you think everyone's a narcissist, it's problematic. But I I also love, there's so many angles I could take here, but like I love how like even your, your own like story about how, like how did you become like an astrologer that's merging like psychology and consciousness, you know, into like that, like for me, like you've been such an expander in that way. Um, like in, because like what we do is so like nobody else does it. <laughs> like who does art and yoga? Like nobody does that. Like, do. so like, you know, in a way, and it's funny. And I think you chuckle at this because I, so when I, I saw you out, like I was trying to remember, was it, was it, I think it was at the top of the year, like January or before in, you know, you had been on my radar for, you know, many years. I would listen to her, like, fangirl, all your podcasts. I could, like, binge watch. Anyways, and the whole time I was like, this is so bizarre because I'm not even into astrology. <laughs> like, I, you know, I know the big lines and what whatever, but, like, it's so funny because, like, <laughs> that is hilarious but at the same time there's such a depth and I've always appreciated the fact that never once I've heard you say oh you do that because you're Gemini oh you do that you know you're Leo that would just drive me nuts because like that is that is so ego too right it's like oh like limiting like oh yeah I've always done this because like this is just this is so like restrained thing so for you like every person it's just so complex, yes. you know, it's just so much more than we, we ought to, we, we see with our, just with our eyes, you know? Yeah. I think so. But I think a lot of what's out there astrologically is just an offshoot of pop psychology. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I've definitely um, traveled down that road, uh, but it just, it's ultimately, I think really limiting to the feeling of wholeness and fulfillment. And I think when we do that, when we say, oh, that's just because that person is, it is like just calling someone a narcissist or like, it just limits the, how complex we are. And, you know, we're all growing all the time. Like if I were to listen to older podcasts of mine, like I, I'm sure I would cringe because it's like, we're constantly growing and evolving, right? And so it's, I see, oh, okay, that was coming from 
conditioning or ego or fear, because it's really all just fear, right? It's like the separation. And that's a lot of what the death stuff that's coming up. It's like, well, it's just, it's the unknown. It's like, what what is it going to be like when I'm no longer in this portal or vessel? Mm. And that's a scary thing. And so I think like, oh, if we take a very kind of basic version of that is I was a city dweller and a city kid and I was not afraid of the city, not afraid of the subway, not afraid of anything like that. But you put me in a forest and I'm still like, okay, what? You know, what do I do here? And that humility around nature I think is really important uh, for me in terms of humility, because humility to me is um, is where I experience grace, and it's where I experience God, and it's where I say like, I'm doing the best I can, given the knowledge base that I have, knowing that I am a mortal lens, and when I do my work, the first thing I do before I sit down with a person or a group is I asked to be taken out of the way, mm-hmm. right? That it's coming through me. And that's been a lot of my personal work is to get out of the way. And I find that a lot of what's out there is, is how can I get in the way? How can, how can I, how can I be at the center of what I'm doing? And that doesn't, deeply resonate with me when I've tried that or I've walked down that road it hasn't felt fully authentic or real to me it feels like I'm playing a part right it's like I was 15 years in LA and you know people are like you developed a brand and I'm like I I know it's my name it's not a brand I'm not selling a product and I struggle with that I keep setting this intention like to be off social media, but it's also how I reach people. So it's, it's complicated. Right. And I also, a friend of mine brought to my attention, this idea of a fourth way, like a spiritual way. I'm sure I'm butchering this, but the idea that like we're meant to evolve through the period that we're living in, because I have a habit of romanticizing times in the past and being nostalgic for a period that I didn't live in. And also even like nostalgic for the 90s when we didn't have all the social media or whatever. But then she was talking to me about how, you know, actually living through the time that we're living in is the spiritual journey. It's not to, you know, for an individual, it may be like being a monk on a mountaintop, but it's, that's not necessarily the way either. Like, this time exists, right? So how do I be a conduit through this period? And that's something that I've been working on. And I'm I'm trying to open my mind to different ways of looking at AI and all the technological advancement, because my first instinct is no. Like, we need to return to nature. And I do think the modern world has taken us farther and farther from ourselves and from spirit. But then I'm like, but it's happening. So it can't be wrong. You know, from a higher spiritual perspective, I struggle with, I ask all those kinds of questions and I try and challenge my own rejection 
of mm. aspects of modernity, which I, by the way, live. I watch movies on my iPad all the time. I text all the time. I'm in social media. So it's like a split in my consciousness that I'm trying to look at from a more holistic, almost mythological lens. Interrupting this mind-blowing conversation to let you know of my studio fall offerings. September is kicking off with my mindful mark making, 28 days of creative mindfulness. In October, we get challenged by practicing yoga for 10 days, for 10 minutes in a row with my 10 by 10 by 10 challenge. And November is for the ever popular Oracle card making workshop. Register today at EstelleThompson.com. That's E-S-T-E-L-L-E-T-H-O-M-S-O-N.com. Stay magic. I love that you brought this on because that's a lot of my work center. Like, it's like we're modern women yes. <laughs> living, like you said, yeah. we don't live in a cave in a monk. And it's like how can we merge these, both these worlds? Like I consider myself somebody who's deeply spiritual and yet like, I still have to go buy groceries and (laughs) like pay my bills and stuff. Exactly. So, you know, a lot of what I, the conversation, it's like, how can we fit these snippet of time into our days you know, that feel soulful and that feel yeah. that I come back into my body. And something you said earlier too, that, that really kind of perked me up was, you know, something about, you know, when we truly surrender, I don't know how you phrase it, but like, you know, you can go crazy. Oh yeah. When I said like, I have a strong constitution, I'm surprised, like, otherwise I'd go crazy. But I find this very, yeah. very interesting because I, I got this pet peeve lately, like everybody, I mean, on social, but like just in the community, I mean, it's like all about safety. Everybody wants everybody to be safe. But there's no, but there's no such thing. And it, but, but it's like, but wait, I'm just like, wait, wait, I get it. And I'm all like, I'm all for that. But also, isn't it to risk everything? <laughs> yes. But also like, what is it? What is that mean? Like that safetyism is a denial of our aliveness. It's like, it's the illusion of control. Right. And that, that is where I think like moving away from nature, we are nature, right? But moving, seeing ourselves as just like, oh, I'm just looking at this. This is beautiful what I'm seeing, but not realizing we're part of it and not realizing there is a danger inherent in life. To shut that off is to numb ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? So if we just want to sit behind screens and we just want to, we just want to order DoorDash or whatever, and we just want to stay as comfortable as possible, well, that's almost definitely going to increase our anxiety because it's just increasing our fear of what we can't control. And then what we can't control gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I think so many of us just are ill-equipped to truly be with everything and yes. hold everything. Yeah, like me, we're about the same age. It's like now it's like, oh, nature can help me with that. Yes. <laughs> because it's like, because I'm like one with her. Duh. Like, <laughs> that I- putting your feet on the ground actually does like calm the nervous system and rearrange 
you know, our system in a way that really anchors us. And it's like, you can have a simulation of that, that's it, but it's never, it's never going to be the same as the real thing. It's never going to be the same as like bathing in real mineral waters, right? It's like, like, I think I studied a lot in college. I studied the enlightenment era and then the romantic era that followed. And it does kind of feel like we're at a similar kind of inflection point where it's like reason and rationality has hit its limit. And we want that romanticism. We want that mysticism. We want that unknown. We want it back um, because we're not human. We're not alive without that. It's not an accident that we're seeing like higher rates of anxiety and loneliness and despair in a world that is obsessed with safety and isolation and just rampant consumerism. It's like, there's, I see what happens to my own brain on Instagram, which like, oh, I should buy that. I should buy that. (laughs) And it's like, I can admire it and say it's beautiful and say, I don't need to own that. And also, you know, and we can both speak to this. It's like we live in a world that if, like, I don't post about my class, then nobody comes. Exactly. So it's, and that's like a, like just the reality of the world we live in. So also, because I've almost shamed myself, like I too dream, like if I didn't have to do all this social media thing, like I would have someone, like, you know, I like... I would be able to frolic in the field and and paint my toes. And like, I just, you know, and then at the same time, it's like for me to do my, to express my mission in the world, I have to have a website. (laughs) I know. And it's such a, that's what I'm saying. It's like how it's almost like the integration and metabolizing the world that we're in. But then there's also that thing like, it's a sign of a healthy person to not be, I'm butchering this, but to not be adjusted to a sick society. So I, it's, it's very complex and, and layered, but I do think that returning to our, like, that's what you teach, right? Like embodiment, returning to our bodies and returning to land in whatever way. I mean, I grew up in Manhattan, which I loved. I mean, I loved going to museums as a kid. I loved, I love New York City, uh, but it's like my feet were always in shoes. They were always on concrete. They were always, um, I remember I went to summer camp. I went to sleepaway camp up in New Hampshire on Lake Winnipesaukee. And we swam in the lake. And I remember it being like frigid and hating it every day. And that it bums me out that I hated it because how amazing And if I had been kind of set up to have a different relationship to nature, like I was at camp, but I wasn't really taking in that I was on this lake or in this nature. And it's amazing. It's great that my parents sent me there, but it wasn't the focus, the conversation at camp was activity, but it wasn't you're in nature. And I just didn't get any of that messaging. And it's been a real learning curve for me, especially being with like a barefoot Kiwi who, you know, is like nature, man. (laughs) He can literally like shoot skin 
and cook an animal, you know? I mean, he's like, he was really raised like that. So <laughs> that's part of such the strong attraction to me because it's like he knows how to move in the world in such a different way than I do. And it's humbling. And that comes back to the humility thing. Cause like, especially growing, I mean, New Yorkers think they're the best in the world and they think they're superior. And it's like, there's a real New York ego thing. Yeah. And it's like, most New Yorkers don't even know how to drive. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's just, it's a fantastic city. I love it. You know, it's, it'll always be where I was raised in my home. But I just think that, you know, part of my personal arc is that, is that immersion into nature. Actually kind of did I, during the pandemic, I had this little project personal, like I never shared, but I realized like kind of all the places had, I had lived in my life were kind of different chapters. Yes you know, of this whole book that, that was, you know, my book and not just the place that I lived, but the place I traveled, you know? Yes. And I mean, I know you studied that too. What's it called? The astro. Like, I guess I'm fascinated by that. And also, I don't think I've told you this, but when I was 18, I took the bus from Quebec city to California, to LA. Really? My dad, yeah, I actually did it twice. I don't know what was like wrong with me or something, but my dad lived in San, San Diego at the time and it was like a hundred bucks to take the bus from like- <laughs> How so, many days did that bus ride take you? Yeah, yeah, three days. Did you meet interesting people? <laughs> I think four days. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I noticed, Danielle, is that it was completely fascinating to me was it was so slow, right? Like the, yeah. the great town is so slow. And I would look at people, you know, I love people watching and I love watching what people wear and yeah. expressions and all that. And I could, that's what I was talking earlier, you know, I could see people like their physiology changed as the, as the environment changed, like people would fit oh. the, the, you do know what I mean? Like yes. the countryside, I don't know how to explain yes. it. And that was so even obviously like the things they wear and stuff. And so th that's what just, and then lately I've been like, oh my God, you become literally what you surround yourself with. Like, yes. the, you're, like you are, you know, what if you don't have connection to that? Yes. Then, like that would feel very like, I don't know. That would feel hopeless to me. I don't know. You know, for me in New York, growing up, it was just, I was very in my head. I was a reader. I, you know, I loved history. You know, like in New York, people are so intense. They like walk like really fast. And like a lot of people are kind of skinnier and the yes. bone. And <laughs> I was all of that. I was all of that. But then in Dallas, people are like super tan <laughs> and they're like a bit stockier and they're, you know, like yes. that's what I mean. Like, and, and yes. that is... Like if you connect to that, then how much wider can you feel your life, you know? Like I would say in terms of cities, I think the healthiest I've ever seen people, I haven't been there in a long time, but is Amsterdam. 
I haven't been to Copenhagen, but I, I would think maybe it's the same Copenhagen and Stockholm. But in Amsterdam, I just remember like being like, everyone has such ruddy cheeks and they're so healthy and they're strong. And like, maybe it's all that bread and cheese, you know, I don't know, but there's like, and they bike everywhere. Right. So there's that kind of quality, but yeah, the New York definitely has that. And like, you can never be skinny enough or whatever, but it's true. It's like, we take in the environment that we are around. That's a reason that I really love Tennessee because it's where we are is almost like subtropical. So Mm -hmm. we get four seasons, but there's a lot of mist and heavy rain and the, the earth is soft and inviting and it's really softened me. You know, I love, I'm out in Colorado, basically my whole family lives here now and I love it here, but the air is drier. The sun is stronger. There's a harshness in that confrontation. I feel like there's been a lot of growth. It's very, Nashville is very yin, the landscape and Colorado is very yang. Well, I love, maybe you can explain what is, uh, I always say it wrong, but cardiography is where our particular lines fall on the map, the global map. So it's so funny because I'll be working with a client and then I'll say, you know, what about this place? And they're like, I lived there for 10 years. You know, there is, there is strong energy and we're pulled to different places. And so if we, if we're aware of our, I, I don't like to be too rigid about any of this stuff, but we're we're aware of it, it can be affirming. It can provide context. Often I find that when we're going through certain transits, which is what's happening in the sky currently and how it impacts our particular chart and and the world, uh, we'll find that it coincides with the transit, like a certain line. We may be drawn to a certain line while we're having a certain transit. So it's again that idea that the energy is dynamic and we're dynamic and our relationship to this earth is dynamic and it's fun to play around with. It is. It is fun. You know, as we wrap up there, I I'd love to know just like your musings or perspective, I guess, on how can one do that? Like in a way. Yeah. And I'd love to get a bit more practical, I guess, you know, how, how does that look like to like live in a world being spiritual and what everything, you know, we've been talking about. I think that a big part of it is just noticing what comes naturally and easily to us, not what we wish we were or who we wish we were, but where, where do our tendencies lie? Right. So if I think back throughout my life, like in high school, I was the person that everyone came to and any job that I came to that, you know, was at, I was the person who people often opened up to or asked questions or kind of just who I would give guidance to. So that just came naturally to me. And then I spent, let's say, my early 20s really spending a lot of time in a coffee shop in East Nashville. And throughout my life, I did freshman year of college in D.C. I found a coffee shop and I you know, immerse myself there. Coffee shops have really been a place where I have grown and expanded my mind and learned from people and met friends and 
you know, if I weren't doing what I were doing, I would probably open some kind of what they call third space. So not home, not work, Mm -hmm. like where people gather. And because I've always utilized that. I've never been a drinker, so I was never a bar person. But that's a lot of reason why people do go to bars or pubs is for the community and the the connection piece. And I just really love that third space thing. So I feel like, and I've been a lover of history and a lover of literature and the human condition and the human experience and also moralism and faith and all those questions that I really spent my college career focusing on or asking. So if I think back, it's like, oh, I just kind of followed what came naturally. And I didn't have a strategy. Um, You know, I had a younger person come to me. I've had several come to me and they've been like, I want to do this. What's your strategy, et cetera. And I've been frankly a little harsh because I think that part of mentorship is like, a lot of people just acquire new knowledge and jump right into it. And we have a lot of that. And there hasn't been a lot of metabolizing. You know, I stu- I've been studying this stuff since I was 19. I'm 43. And I've been doing it full-time for seven years, which is a lot of time of study and a lot of time of living out in the world and falling down on my face and getting back up and having that growth. And there were, when I was getting my master's in spiritual psychology, I was on not on social media, not at all. Uh, I spent enormous amounts of time alone uh, in contemplation. And it really, that was a three-year program. There was a year in between the second year and the third year. And then I did two years, uh, basically apprenticeship at the program where I read and metabolized that in that kind of way. And then I led in-person circles. And so I'm a big believer that in this desire to like, find our calling and get ourselves out there, we actually can miss the subtle nuances because we're trying to architect an experience and brand it and sell it. Uh, And the more we are it, the more it will flow. Uh, And I recognize that's not, you know, that's not the case if you're going to be a neurosurgeon, you know, you need to go through a certain, uh, certain steps, understandably. But I do think that we don't, when I was in my 20s, it's, there was still, it felt like that cultural allowance to just try things. I got out of college and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I took a job at Scholastic and I worked in multimedia literacy for third graders under the Bush administration had this no child left behind. And I did that. And then I worked on a political campaign and then, you know, I worked on a nonprofit and all of that, if I connect the dots backwards in that uh, famous Steve Jobs commencement speech, it's like, if you, if you connect, if you allow yourself to follow what interests you, it will add up to something. It will make sense. And I think we live in this culture where it's all about like achievement. But I think what I'm seeing in my clients, what I'm seeing in my work is people are like, honestly, I just want like a waitressing job. I just want to be with people in real life. And that waitressing is connecting to people, 
it's service, it's usually feeling part of a community, whatever that, um, whatever the restaurant, uh, not only the clientele, but also the people that you work with. I think that, you know, we have this idea that our purpose is some grandstanding thing. And it's like, your purpose is you're alive. That's it. Right. And we move through the world. And I just think the more we think about what interests us, right? Like a lot of what I've seen is people who studied in college, something they thought they were supposed to, that would get them a solid job that got them. And then they're strapped with student loans and they're in this whole world that's manufactured, that doesn't even feel real to them. And it's like, it's okay to take a circuitous route. It's necessary, I think. I think so. I think so too. I love what you said about like, you know, being a waitress is so important. Like you're like feeding people. You're like create like it's a huge not just that, it's like the the interaction. I really suffered from the fact that I suffered is a very strong word, but I was raised in a home where it's like, well, you have this academic degree and then you go and you intern. And it's like, I got coffee for like CEOs. Like that was good. I would have done much better waitressing or having a job that actually, by the way, paid me something. Um, and then when I graduated my, my master's program, I worked behind the desk at a meditation studio and that filled in the gap of what I had been missing because I was interfacing with people all day and I realized, mm. hey, I'm really good at this. And like, I was embarrassed by the fact that I didn't know how to like, I would see people when I would go to a store and I'd buy something. It's like, how do you bring that up? Like, I didn't know how to do that. So I walk through kind of a very mundane, everyday fear that I had that I hadn't metabolized that experience. And I realized I actually love doing this. I was paid so little that I could not, I was living on my sister's couch in my mid thirties doing that or early thirties, but I'm so glad I did it. Cause I really was like, Oh, this is the same thing where it's like, I really just love interfacing with people and I love finding connections with people and I love making people feel seen. And from that, I taught meditation at that studio and it steamrolled from there, but I was living on my sister's couch and I don't, regret that. And I'm grateful not everyone has a sister whose couch they can lay on. But I think that's that was all part of it. And I think the thing that I'm most proud of is my clients are from all over the globe, every walk of life. There were a lot of things that led me to be able to hold space in a non-tribal way. And that's hard, right? (laughs) When I came seeking you, like, I just had this sense, this weird sense, like I had like ended a cycle. At the same time, I knew I had been too entangled in like my ego. And I think you can, it's so easy to get lost in the cultural noise, you know, like, or like a lot, some things we talked a lot in our group too. It was like being the good person, like, you know, and I think a lot of us are so plagued with, wanting to be a good citizen, be good, uh, be, oh, you're, uh, this person is so good that they kind of stay stuck yes. in that because they're afraid like they might, if they fail, then nobody, you know, like, so you get kind of, and then it's a night and then, uh, <laughs> and then you are. And, Life you know, I remember when our first, our first meeting, 
you weren't telling me things that I didn't know about myself. It was like, but it was, yeah, it was fascinating to me. And the, the way, you know, you use the chart just as a glance, you know, not as the thing, you know, it wasn't the center. Well, cause so many roads lead to Rome. Right. And ultimately what drives my work is the, is the humanity piece and the mystical piece and where they coexist. And so I see the chart as a gateway, um, but also all energies neutral until directed. So context matters. And I think that life is just so much more poetic and layered than you're in, you're a Pisces, therefore, right? It's like, how limiting is that? It's the same thing as saying, like, you're Canadian, you're this. I just think it's, mm. we miss the boat. I love that. I love talking with you. <laughs> um, one last thing, one last thing. What do you think? Like, we're about four months out. Oh, yeah. And yeah. because our relationship has been so much, the subject has been around creativity. I'd love your take on like, I don't know why this keep this phrase keeps coming back to me, but like almost the future of creativity and the need, like for me, it's such a tragedy that, you know, imagination is so devalued in our society. Like no, no one thinks it's important. Yes. And I'm just like, what do you mean? It's going to save the world. Like, and not, and, and art is yes. going to save us. And, and so what, what do you think is the future, like in a post pandemic, you know, whatever you want to call it. I've been thinking about this in terms of like the strikes, for example. And I've also been thinking about it in terms of how art has been so politicized. It's like, it's like, if you like this, therefore you, these are your political beliefs, which is just absurd because the idea of art is to reflect our humanity back to us. It's not supposed to fall down political lines. But I saw this meme uh, online that was related to the, the strikes, the writers and the actors strike. And it said something like, when did content, when did art become content? And I think about, I honestly think about my time in LA before, I, kind of before I started doing this, but even as I was beginning to, and this idea of like, am I a content creator? And I'm, a, and really that, it, that term is so soulless, like content versus art versus imagination versus poetry versus expression and how this idea that everything's been co-opted into buy, trade, sell. Like it's just, we've, I hope that there is a reimagining and a return to art and storytelling without it having an agenda. Just the story itself is what moves. It's what connects us to our humanity. Art, art for art's sake. Exactly. Thanks for being here and your time. Thank you for having me.